I think just as a manager of people, it's really important to just have a deeper understanding of what everybody's expectations are and what they really need to do their job well. Mm -hmm. Some people really need that little bit of direction and you know validation. And you know, it's very unfair to somebody who really wants direction to not give them any. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. A few weeks ago, I had a wonderful and transformative experience in India during IGDC, and I want to share the key learnings with you. Great leadership comes from everywhere, and I want to bring perspectives from the East to the West so that we can continue learning from each other. In this special series, I am sitting down with five studio founders to offer a broad perspective on the gaming ecosystem in India now, ranging from early-stage companies to more mature stages, from bootstrap to VC-backed, from casual to mid-core, serving the global or the local market. Are you ready to challenge your beliefs and perception? Let's begin. Welcome, everyone. Hey. Hello. <laughs> so I'm indirect from Bombay Play, not from Bombay. Listen carefully. I'm actually here still in Bangalore, in Indranagar, which is also a district from Bangalore, where I was staying. And it's a Berlin of Bangalore to me. It was super cool staying here. That's why I say here we are in the hipster studio of Bangalore. And uh, yeah, super cool to be here. Uh, it's my last day in Bangalore, so I make it count. With Oliver Jones here, the CEO co-founder of Bombay Play, Hello. one of the gaming studios in Bangalore. Good to be here. Yeah, and as I'm starting the round of studio and continuing my tour, you're my second studio on that round. To talk about also the journey and giving an overview of the gaming ecosystem in India, which um, I won't be able, of course, to cover in just one episode with you. But before we start even introducing what the company is doing, where it is today, maybe through your own journey in gaming, because before Bombay Play, who are you? What have you done before? What are you doing in India? What did that start? So maybe for a journey, it tells us a lot about the gaming ecosystem. I'm still not quite sure what I'm doing here, Sophie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm here, so I'm making the most of it. You know, I think you know the feeling. Uh, I came here 10 years back to do a podcast. and <laughs> you know. So like soon after graduation, I shifted to Bangalore to work with Zynga as a game designer. And well, we've kind of figured at Zynga, there's nothing they were doing as a global company that we couldn't just make ourselves locally. So myself and a few other people broke away and we made a company called Moonfrog, which today employs over 200 people here in Bangalore, just down the road. And the idea was to make content for the Indian market specifically. Moonfrog was sold to Stillfront a few years ago, and I moved on to Bombay Play to sort of build content in India for the world. In between, I had a stint at Glue Mobile as well in Hyderabad before returning to Bangalore. So. And what I love uh, about how you talk about the journey, which is also, I had the same feeling as well with my previous interview, you talk about it in a such a uneventful way, like something mundane that has happened. Oh, I built a company, was sold, and then, you know, and then <laughs> one thing to another, <laughs> my next company. Yeah. And I think this is also the attitude here where there's some success building a company, scaling, which is still like big, and building a second, which is funded as well. 
The attitude also of humility and keeping learning, in which I love because the day you start to think you are on the top and you stop learning, being curious, is this is the start of the end. You I know? agree. Like the problem with success is sometimes you think you are able to make waves, but in reality, we're just all looking for waves to get in front of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't make markets myself. I just follow them. Yeah, and let's get into a bit of your journey. For the ones who don't know, so the history of at least uh, Bangalore or some of the studio Hyderabad, uh, there's the Glue, the Zynga, and EA, and GSN now owned by Scopely, which I believe is a generation of a lot of knowledge and uh, people in games focused on the product. So you come from product, right? Before going and uh, building your own thing. And especially, I wanted to hear a second part about Ludo Games, which is also a notable success because what was the thesis of building a game for the Indian market and what were maybe the specificities that you learned from that time and how to make you know revenues uh, success in the Indian market yeah you're right the way the ecosystem has worked is that companies have built sort of external studios here in India to well one is cost optimization for sure but also to leverage the local talent in terms of engineers and artists and I think even these days, sort of technical artists and other more sort of gaming specific roles more readily available in India. So that's where EA, Ubisoft, Glue and Scopely, Zynga all saw sort of an opportunity. And, you know, it wasn't by chance they considered every country and yeah. saw that, you know, India was the best candidate to build their external sort of studios from scratch. You know, they weren't built through acquisitions. They were built themselves by the companies, by, you know, concerted effort of a lot of people. And yes, there was a skill gap for sure in some areas. And that's why folks like me ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I was just a fresher in college, yeah. even though I was filling the gap of game design. And that was my passion throughout my studies and, and my postgrad. I still wasn't like very experienced, but I was still somewhat more knowledgeable about the gaming space than perhaps uh, those who were trying to run the studio over here. So I received a call and, hey, Oliver, why don't you come to Bangalore? We need somebody with some, who is a diehard gamer to try and you know, run these social games that Zynga was making out, mm -hmm. of, out of Bangalore. And yeah, what do you think about the opportunity? And I, maybe they just... The reason why companies had hired young people like me is because, you know, <laughs> I think professionals with many years of experience, it's harder to convince them to move. <laughs> Whereas college graduates, it's a bit easier because there's fewer sort of ties to where you are. That's how I ended up here. I had some knowledge of, you know, gaming and I played a lot of games. I studied games, but I had very little like actual industry experience. So I was very much on the same level as everyone else, to be honest. I was a diehard gamer where everyone else sort of came into gaming yeah. because it was, became a viable career choice. Now, I think that gap of knowledge was a problem, but it was also, I think, a, a, what we call a boon. Because we didn't know how much we didn't know, it gave us the conviction that we could build great things and <laughs> compete with players all around the world. So... I think it spurred a lot of innovation and ambitious thinking, uh, simply because we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's good sometimes. Yeah, it's good sometimes. Genuine, um, you know, genuine naiveness. Uh, let's get into it and then let's do something. Yeah, like 
you have this feel. Oh, these people in the U.S., people in Europe. What do they know anyway? <laughs> There's nothing we can't do. Let's build it ourselves. Let's take on the world. And that's where sort of we decided to spin out and start my first startup, Moonfrog. And we really had nothing, <laughs> but we had like a very, I would say, rather unprofessional-looking pitch deck, and we managed to raise our seed round of funding. From Sequoia, and it was like a million dollars. And this was sort of three years into my career, so I was like, "Wow, one million dollars—that's so much money!" <laughs> and uh, you know, quickly I realized how little money that is to run a studio. Um, yes, it, it can go quickly. <laughs> you know, it only gives you really—I uh, mean, in India, you can bootstrap a lot、mm-hmm. if you really want to lower your living costs. You can. You know, don't eat the fancy food. Don't go for the fancy coffee. Don't go for the fancy apartment. You know, live humbly, and you can increase your personal burn rate. All you need is a laptop, <laughs> and you can compete with anybody around the world. And I believe this is something President Obama once said: like, you know, a kid in Bangalore can compete with anyone around the world, and it's totally true. So we got that million dollars. We stretched it out as much as we can and tried to experiment. We made some games that failed, but eventually, we decided maybe competing with the world wasn't our strength at that time because、yeah. you know with a few people with which year was that? Gosh, the 2013、okay. onwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our story. Yeah, like、oh, Candy Crush was already out. Yeah, Candy Crush was out. Zynga was slow to move on mobile. Yes, and I think we were just about one of the new teams on the block that really wanted to execute on mobile. So I think simply by virtue of being the only game in town, <laughs> <laughs> Sequoia gave us a check. Like, okay, fine, let's see what they do. But yeah, we quickly realized even at that time we weren't quite prepared to compete. There were already established players in various, in pretty much all the categories that we could think of at the time. So we decided, you know, let's think a bit more local. Let's see what's popular. And we saw that you know some local casino games were doing very well.、Mm-hmm. So we followed the Zynga way of fast following, aka copying <laughs> <laughs> what was already there, and I think we ended up coming like second place in the local like Indian poker category, which、mm. is otherwise known as Teen Patti, and that was really our start. Like with that small budget of you know just a million dollars,、oh. we launched a game that got some traction, and then we were able to raise the following round.、Yeah. So. We just jumped on the trend rather than trying to create a trend ourselves.、Mm. And deliver quickly, I, I believe, right? Yes,、uh, it was, I believe, less than a month to develop. Wow, really? The, yeah,、wow. the game. Yeah. And so it took off and generated your revenue, where you could also be profitable and start to grow. Because when you started, like you were a few, few people, and then two hundred, right? So that、yeah. happened in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so my journey with Moonfrog. Kind of ended around four years in, I'd say. Okay, yeah. Like after our Series A round of funding, I figured like this is it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>、um, well, you went to Series A as well. Yeah, Series A.、Uh, series A, we raised、uh, another fifteen million dollars. So then it was like more serious money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. believe at the time that was one of the biggest fundraisers for a gaming、yeah. company in India. So it was a big deal back、yeah. then. But I think I personally lost confidence in like the strategy we were building. And so I think that led to sort of my aspirations being misaligned with what the, the、yeah. company really wanted to try and execute、yeah. on, 
you know, I was somewhat correct, somewhat incorrect in that assumption. I feel like a, the right decision was made to part ways because at Bombay Play, the value has been created here as well, mm. which is equal or more to what I would have made by staying. So yeah. I think I would have regretted not trying building for the world yeah. had I stayed trying to continue to execute mm. for the Indian market in the casual casino space. Yeah. yeah. You raise an important point maybe for uh, as a co-founder, because you know in the journey to uh, reflect with yourself that this is not anymore of a place or what you want to do, mm. and acknowledge this to yourself to move on or move out, uh, because it's not doing a favor to anyone, neither yourself, also the people who are counting on you. If you exactly you see yourself, uh, this is not maybe the journey for me, whatever if it's yeah. the right journey or not, but th this is a practice that I believe should happen more. You know, like. There are different stages of a company and it makes things change. And the reason why your co-founder started and uh, where it goes is not always there along the whole journey. And that's also okay, right? I, I believe like professional poker players know when to, well, fold their hands far more than amateurs do. They know when to quit better, you know? <laughs> uh, so I figured when I was looking at market data at that time and really making my own qualitative and quantitative assessment of what was happening, Yeah, I just ended up not believing in the story anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I could be wrong in that, but yeah. I think largely it hasn't been proved yet. I think we'll see over time. Yeah. The Indian market is still growing very, very rapidly. That remains to be true. But I think it's the kind of content that you make mm. makes a lot of difference. So yeah. there is a wave of the India GDP and middle upper yeah. class growth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a very valid and the data speaks for itself. Yes, there's, yeah. there's not really an opinion about it. But what content are they consuming? Because there's lots of sort of content out there. And a lot of the downloads seem to be going towards more globalized content, yeah. I see. Yeah. So I still have that doubt that sort of reskinning content to make it more culturally relevant, whether that's really a winning strategy or not. Yeah. So that's where there was a dissonance. And as a leader, I couldn't lead the team yeah, with that doubt in my mind. Yeah, if you were, uh, no, your heart wasn't there. And that's a good segue to having uh, a team delivering for the local market, developed in India to the global. And it's a debate I've heard actually quite many times through a conversation. What is the potential of a market in India? Some companies have been very deliberate. We want to focus, we believe we are part of the journey. And some of us, like yours as well, are focused on global. Mm. So I'd like to hear as well the transition and what was the thought at the times, the intention of building Bombay Play. A question I ask often is, did it start more with a vision of the kind of company, the places you wanted to build, mm. uh, how people would work, or the type also of games, like more focused as well on the impact on players and what you wanted to bring to the world, you know, with uh, the games you create. It's not very simple as having an aha moment yeah. and going out and starting a business around it as the typical kind of entrepreneur journey is. Our story was more along the lines of, we knew there were lots of opportunities in gaming, but we weren't sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like we weren't sure what they were, but we also understood that ideas are very cheap execution is more important. And we wanted to be in a position where we could execute on the opportunities that were coming up. Mm. So we decided it was better to be in the game and building rather than to be sitting on the sidelines. So that's really where Bombay Play, Abbas and myself, my co-founder got together and said, yeah, 
Uh, we're not sure what the future holds, but we'll be there to seize it when it comes. <laughs> so you started basically more with the people, the team, like, let's continue something together and then let's figure it out, figure yeah, it out later. It's like the faith that you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We'll figure it out when we see it. Yeah. But it was kind of now or never. It had a bias for action, really, and just started building. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. And maybe we built a bit too much. Uh, you know, and tried too many things, maybe we should have focused more. But what we did, build like a nice, sustainable company. And we didn't raise any funding until we were at least like a million in oh, okay, so ARR. Yeah. yeah, that part is interesting. So you bootstrapped for uh, that time. Mm. How did you bootstrap? How many were you? And you know, how long? Uh, we were three people. Huh. And we bootstrapped with three people for, I think, nearly one year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And generating your first revenues until you say, okay, we have something. Yeah. And with three people, we reached a million in monthly, uh, sorry, in annual revenue. And, and the global uh, market. Yeah. Right? In the global market. What was market. that game? It was a game called Card Party. Okay. Yeah. It's a Uno game with yeah. wizards and tornadoes. And <laughs> we were building on our strength, really, with card games. We had built it before in the casino space. So we figured. Let's make a more casual card game with casino mechanics. And mm. So uh, we took the concept of Uno that everyone is very familiar with, changed it here and there, and added in sort of social casino on top of it. We saw there was very little competition in the space other than like the official mm. Uno app. So we figured if we're number two, it'll be good enough. That's how it is today. Like yeah. you search for the Uno keyword, and, you know, we've done enough ASO to make sure that, you know, the official Uno app comes up and then Card Party is right next to it, you know. So you can try both if you're an Uno fan and see which one you like. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good also product strategy to really go for the segments and aiming like for that number two, like, okay, number one is taken, but how can we surf in uh, creating the best after uh, number one, right? Yeah, it's also the mobile gaming market if you look at it in terms of products with jobs that need to be done, I guess, using that framework, pretty much every single sort of user motivation is taken care of yeah. from the hyper casual to the core and everything in between. And then even the console is taken care of, mobile is taken care yeah, of. Right. And then every single interest is taken care of. <laughs> so by multiple competitors who are very high quality. So I'd say it's like approaching a perfect market. Yeah, yeah. So like when you're in that state, if the market's in that state, then it's really only efficiency gains mm. which separate the winners from everyone else. Mm. So if you can find an efficiency gain over the top players, then you stand a chance of winning, either through sort of engagement, monetization or distribution. Yeah. Yeah. So in the case of Card Party, we saw that the official Uno app, for example, would never use ads because why would you put ads, yeah, at yeah. least at the time, I'm not sure yeah, what they're yeah. doing now. But we could monetize better if we made an app that, you know, was similar, but had like, you know, all the best practices in monetization. Obviously, the big disadvantage is that you cannot use the brand, yeah. but you can sort of have the same look and feel. People know what the you know, same mechanics you can use. So we figured there was an efficiency gain 
possible there mm. and we took advantage of it and we ended up wow. doing pretty well yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the way you talk about it is so casual but it's also very intentional exactly like really aiming for the homes and mm. delivering so you were doubling down on your strengths so that's important to mention so you didn't pursue just another segment like okay let's figure it out so it was very focused as well intentional yeah. and then delivering quickly and achieving because you It sounds like you repeated a bit the not the story but the same principle on how to approach the launch at Moonfrog, La Moonfrog Labs mm. to uh, what you started with uh, Bombay Play, right? The same, uh, and what I like as well, it's maybe um, more appreciated these days because raising capital out of an idea is almost impossible, especially for a mobile game. And the bootstrapping days when you start, the main thing to start to build the foundation of your company. And as you have worked together as well with your co-founder before, you know you are your culture by who you are, like as a people together. And in the journey of Bombay Play, you started in 2018 yeah. to 2023 today, so it's been five years. I wanted to understand also here a bit more about the journey. So it's, it's great to hear about the first product. After having that first uh, million revenues, uh, raising, and then having suddenly capital, how did you start to build studio, hiring, growing. You said like you were 60 people today. Yeah, yeah. And I see also a lot of intention in your culture, uh, this brand on your website about creating a place that is inclusive, diversity, which I'll come back to that. A progressive place, which was an interesting choice of words. <laughs> so I want to understand as well, like from product, as you get your first success, how did that translate when building the studio and that cool, very cool uh, studio where we're in today, five years uh, later? Uh, gosh. Uh, yeah, the, the issue when you're very small, just three people, like is just your first few hires. How do you sit them in a meeting room and say, this is going to be big, you know, <laughs> come join us. And you're obviously, you're not in a place where people are organically reaching out to you because you don't have a brand. You yeah. don't. So we really had to sort of differentiate ourselves. And this is how we present ourselves in public and how we act sort of within Bombay Players. Like we always try and act with, uh, you know, inclusively and with authenticity. Mm. So you saw yourself like uh, on LinkedIn, we're posting like yeah. videos all the time of just random stuff. And we're trying to show our real selves and bring our real selves to work and show our real selves on social media. And I think people appreciate that. It's like a breath of fresh air, especially in like a very corporate culture that you yeah. see everywhere. And we can get away with it because we're a startup. There's no com sign off on anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how we sort of began to grow on social media and then uh, after a time we found that people started reaching out to us as for who we hired we did f obviously the standard kind of criteria filtering for experience and knowledge i suppose but we also look for people who we got a sense they really had something to prove mm -hmm. <laughs> that's who we were ourselves yeah, yeah. Uh, we wanted to prove that you can build a gaming company in India, like built content for the world. And so we hired people who could, you know, we felt strongly aligned with that vision that, you know, damn it, you know, I can do this yeah. and I want to show the world I can do this. And this is the company where I can prove myself. Yeah. Although that word doesn't do justice of what it really means, like a hungry mindset, you know, having yeah. ambitions, wanting to do something, yeah. big, having a, making an impact, okay. I have a question more about like cultures and ways of working because 
I came here also with an open mind to discover and understand, okay, it's very different way how teams work here uh, with a f cultural factor. Mm. Having worked also uh, with Asian teams, historically a lot of hierarchy. I, I was imagining maybe there's some structure like this, but I discovered for all the companies, at least for second generation, a really more flatter structure, a lot of co based on collaboration. Even several founders actually were telling me, here we make games among friends, you know, that's the mood. And I, it, it was very familiar to me because that's how I worked at Wooga, at Rovio. I don't know if it's been an evolution or it's been just normal, you know, living in India, you spend more time. And the expectation of people who would come to an, a gaming studio, is this yeah. an expected way of working? Like you have to collaborate? Yeah, I would agree largely, but it also depends on which India you're in. Like India is a very diverse place mm. and not everyone has that. Not everyone can adapt to that mindset. I'd say it's still very much like a Silicon Valley notion of way of working that we've kind of adopted because we've worked in Silicon Valley yeah. kind of companies, offices that have set up yeah. here. And if you go to like tier two and beyond sort of cities in India, you'll find that the working culture is very different sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I've certainly been to offices where it's just like lots of people crammed into small places and it's very hierarchical yeah and i've even been on these you know considered acquisitions of these kind of companies because the talent is very good but eventually been sort of have to think twice because like the cultures will never match mm. that's not to say that you know people who don't work in our kind of culture are you know miserable or like are worse off or anything i just think it's a very different working culture like the expectations are are very mm. different depending on what your life experience is. Yeah. We work this way and I think it's difficult for some people to sort of adapt to a very open and, mm. you know, nobody's telling you what to do. We expect yeah. you to sort of come to us and tell us what to do. And that's why we hire who we consider to be the best in the industry. Yeah. But I think just as a manager of people, it's really important to just have a deeper understanding of what everybody's expectations are and what they really need to do their job well. Mm -hmm. Some people really need a little bit of direction and, you know, validation. And, you know, it's very unfair to somebody who really wants direction to not give them any. Yeah, know? yeah, right. And you're kind of setting them up to fail in that yeah. sense. But if you give them an objective, then they're set up to succeed. Uh, whereas others don't really want you to tell them how to do their job. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think part of being inclusive is to identify both yeah, sides. Yeah. On the part about building games amongst friends, I can understand the idea, but I'm not fully behind the idea. I am a believer in like, you know, we are a sports team and I'd still, the sports team analogy doesn't quite sit right with me either because in a sports team, how do you make room for I don't know, women in labor, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have an empathetic sort of culture as well. You yes. can't just be a sports team that is always about results. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, right. If you snooze, you lose kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the sports team analogy in the sense that, you know, we're here for a purpose. We're here to work together. Yep. There's a reason we've assembled and it's to take on the world and to win the championship, you know, yep. and the other teams are all the other gaming studios all across the world. Mm. And we have to compete on a high level. And that's very much a sports yep. mentality. But at the same time, you have to be inclusive of yep. the kind of minds that you bring together. Mm. Yeah. 
my impression is maybe uh, uh, beyond more of being a friend definition is friendly. I think it's more yeah. uh, environment is friendly. Yeah. But it's also very business oriented, I, I, like conversation I've seen. So it's a balance, right? But uh, mm. there is an attitude of friendliness. I mean, it's a yeah. uh, gaming community. So um, yeah, friendliness should come naturally. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like also as a startup, you have limited time. But you don't have time for assholes uh -huh. and you don't have time for people who waste your time. If any regrets I have would be, you know, not acting fast enough when, you know, you have people like that on the team. Yeah. I guess don't be tolerant of intolerance. Yeah. <laughs> it seems you also are very clear about those principles because you have done a journey as well by mm. building companies, also exiting and also starting it over again. So I'm sure you have seen many same structure and have formed your own idea, mm. you know, what works for you. And then it translates again into what the studio is today and how it's formed. But I wanted to hear like more of a conscious process that has happened to the result. Mm. Going back to some thoughts on product, which is a thought as well, like I'm, I'm reflecting on, I find it really challenging to compete with the rest of the world. So I'll ask you more like your tech when it comes to competitive advantage, right? So if you're competing with the rest of the world, what is different that you do that gives you also a different door, right? I think anyway, there's some already elements of it when you tried to serve the world in your first game. But if you could verbalize it in uh, some elements of it, I don't know if it's you, mm. the people. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could say the team is awesome and, you know, that's our strength. But these days in gaming, everyone has an awesome team, you know, at the top sort of, let's say, 100, 200 games yeah. have awesome teams behind them, mostly, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can't really say that's what makes you different. Yeah. But I would say that we're particularly good at failing <laughs> uh, fast. Yeah. Because that's how we've been trained. We're used to running these sprints, especially like pre-IPO Zynga days where, you know, every single week we needed to show numbers. We needed to show growth. What features did we ship that drove those numbers? And we went through that iteration week over week. You know, it was a full product review weekly. Mm. <laughs> you know, our team sizes there would be 60 or so people so we would have multiple sort of pods going simultaneously so that we were able to have that level of cadence mm. yeah it's very intense and that's how we were trained to operate and so when starting a company we just took that same philosophy to launching products mm -hmm. <laughs> i think it's great given the market you don't know what works and by the time you tested something that worked six months later, it may not be, you know, that hot. So you have to be quick, right? To yeah. get the signal and deliver. So Yeah, especially when you're trying to find blue spots in, in a red ocean. Yeah. Like when you're like going back to like finding efficiency gains on engagement, like that's a very hard problem. And that's the problem that you really need years to 10x the quality of the competition. So what we try and do here is, you know, identify like, okay, for example, right now we're going after a genre we're calling puzzle PVP. Mm -hmm. We see that there are lots of globally. It seems to be rather region agnostic as well. Yeah. So it's inclusive for India as well as everyone else. Yeah. Except it seems like the category is very much female skewed in many places. And by introducing PvP, you can bring more males to the category, mm. but also engage the female audience as well in a more sort of a familiar game, but in a more sort of competitive environment. And therefore also driving monetization efficiencies yeah. over the existing sort of 
puzzle games.、Mm. We see it as a kind of fresh category, and、uh, although folks like King.com have tried competitive modes in、yeah. Candy Crush now with really great results, like if you see King's quarterly results, they see Candy Crush is still growing somehow, and. A lot of that is kind of driven by these big bold bets that they're doing, which is driving a bit more competition and a bit more、mm. spend through sort of catering to that motivator in their player base.、Mm. And then I think more recently, like Candyvore is one of the biggest fundraisers so、yeah. far this year with 100 million MP funding. So we are seeing signals. It's not a lot of data, yeah, <laughs> but it's enough for a small company like ours to get a bit. Of conviction, and think it's a worthy bet、yeah. to spend our time on. And I think, especially post 2021, the industry is becoming a bit risk averse, and instead doubling down on their winners versus trying new games. So we feel like we're well positioned to、yeah. take advantage of what we can see. We can also be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, well find then, out. And then you correct because you're quick、uh, to rebounds and so on. So that's fine as well. Yeah. So like our typical. Timeline to getting to what we would call a qualitative test, which is sort of using a peer re- review group,、yep. is around six months. Just sort of before release in the early alpha beta builds, we would get those tested, and we actually have gates where if the play testers are not rating the game high enough, we then do another sort of sprint to try and improve, and then we test it again and test it again until we feel like it's. At least good enough to get put onto the store and you know start running sort of test campaigns to get you know data. So six months、yeah. for a good version of a game with an MVP, an M, a minimal lovable product,、yeah. maybe six months、yeah. from concept to、uh, go to soft launch, basically、yeah. market test. Okay, so actually quite fast as well, especially if you have all the layers that you measure, I guess, with monetization and so on. Yeah. So, so what we were doing with our casual studio in the hyper casual、uh, at Vodou, trying exactly to break this process of long time where you、yeah. have everything perfect before you launch, have something that you feel a bit sorry for when you launch, and, <laughs> and then see the signals. Right, say okay, it's worth investing more, and so on.、Mm. So that's very interesting. And back to the puzzle. Social competition around the match、uh, master. So it's like for many years ago, and it took some time for them to figure out exactly the UX,、uh, the play. And I think there's more f- probably to do there with different mechanics with the social play. But it's a lot of iteration. I see also more persistent whoever is passionate about the topic. <laughs> and, and I've seen the phenomenon with chess online as well. Like、yeah. those puzzle games play. It's very social and it's super fun.、Yeah. I do see as well an、uh, an opportunity there. But it's execution, as you said. Exactly, and it's finding the right mechanic that is well suited for PVP as yes, well. Yes. Yes. Because match three just about fits. You know? Yeah, it is yeah. tricky. Yeah. It's very tricky, and they managed to make it work, which、yeah. is a great result. Took them four years, but thankfully now you know we can look at them and, <laughs> and then see. And say, oh, okay, yeah, like this is what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully use that as a bit of their learnings as you know,、yeah. give us a bit of a head start in our own endeavor to try and crack our own space. We're not going after match three, but you know. PVP can extend to different kind of categories within puzzle.、Mm. It's a design challenge, yeah. And I think what we've realized is you just need to have a strong conviction somehow. Even though you can look at the market, get as much data as you can possibly get, 
and feel like, yeah, this seems get conviction over the bet, but you'll never know what your metrics are until the game is out. Yes. So until your game is out, like as in not just soft launched, but you know, in the wild. Will you really know what your actual data is? And right. and even then, only once you scale. Can you scale? Mm. And can you scale profitably? Yeah. Yes. And that's a long journey. So from the moment you test there, over hurdles. Well, we follow this journey with a game like you already revealed, like publicly, mm. like also like sharing your test and your learning. And mm. uh, my last question is, uh, based on all which you shared, you have had a journey of five years. Thinking back about it, with a second company key learning on top of your head and maybe feeling of regret of something you wish you, did, you knew but you didn't know and well that happened. So more like a quick retrospective on five years in, in the company. It was challenging to find like product market fit. Mm -hmm. So we did try a lot of things. How many? Yeah, how many? We've killed 20 games in five years. Yeah. That's good, ratio. <laughs> yeah. You're a, a pro killer. Yeah, yes, pro that's killer. Really, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yes. uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> It might be over 20 games even. Yeah, I'm not... but that's great. That's yeah. how you get the learnings, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm happy we did all of those experiments and I'm happy we killed them. Some of them we probably kept going for too long, mm -hmm. you know? So I do regret not killing some of those projects faster. We did some IP deals as well. Mm -hmm. I probably shouldn't say which ones, but. We did some IP deals that I think we got us stuck for a little bit longer than we otherwise would have liked mm -hmm. into like building stuff for other people. The problem with IP deals is that you realize faster than the IP owner that it's not working, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's a sad moment for them. It's like, sorry, I'm breaking this relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I love your IP. And it's a great IP, but it's just, you know, the data is what it is. Yeah. No match of the audience and the genre. <laughs> Most of the time, that's usually that. Yeah, it is. It is. So when you sign these contracts, sometimes it's like one year yeah. of maintenance. <laughs> and, you know, it's tough to break. So maybe for the sake of like short-term cash, I know we weren't funded at the time and it was very tempting. So we did it. But I do wish that we maybe just stuck to our guns for a bit longer that would have given us a bit of probably would have saved us like six seven months of bandwidth mm. i think which is very important yeah you know. yes totally uh, so, but nonetheless things worked out every quarter there's maybe only one decision that matters mm -hmm. and then all the other decisions that you make are not consequential <laughs> really so the skill is really identifying which is the decision that is the important one that you should really think about mm. yeah so i think like prioritization of decisions would be another one but that's a very good one about like working with uh, founders uh, and gaming leaders. When you're busy running your company, making your next game, it becomes more foggy uh, about the decisions and uh, assessing which ones are important with which impact and what is the single one that actually matters really through the noise, right? So yeah. this is where the challenge is and it requires discipline and other things. And, you know, uh, just so that's part of the challenge of an entrepreneur as well. Mm. Okay, last Last, 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 last question. Yeah, Let's the, go. the last, last, last. <laughs> after like all this event, the Lumikai IGDC, and I come here fresh, seeing so many studios with exciting projects, new gaming funds being formed and investing, and also like the market reports. So, what's your view going forward a, a bit about the studios and games that will come? Purely, um, uh, you know, opinions. Uh, uh, yeah, pure, purely opinion based, but. I mean, if you look at market reports, the Indian market is poised to, I think it's like 
2027 or so. The latest like Lumikai report was a 7.5 billion or approximately yeah, there. Yeah. I don't think that's wrong. I think it's it's quite realistic. Mm-hmm. However, I think you need to also put that in context of like the global market and where that's going. And the, you know, the global market is like 250 billion yeah. thereabouts. And it is also like overall growing. So you need to figure like whether the India is the bet or there's still opportunities yep. outside. If my current bet is that the like culturally relevant Indian content will continue to thrive. And the average revenue per user is likely to go up. Mm-hmm. But where those dollars are going, I think that I hope it will go to local studios. But maybe the likelihood these days is that it's still going to go to global studios that are offering simply the best entertainment, which is sort of generally or more broadly sort of appealing to everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't think the I, this concept of reskinning content for local markets really works unless it's like a, as you say, like a nice IP and game fit. Mm. And as you may know, you know, in your own experience, you really have to write, have the right game design matched with the right IP for that to really work. And that's a tough thing to do anywhere, mm. India included. So what I do think, however, is that, you know, the quality of content being created for India, whether before India or abroad, will continue to sort of match what's out there. I feel like the studios in India really have something to prove. And I don't think there's a lack of knowledge or ability. There just is perhaps a lack of patience. <laughs> We're trying to move so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And iterate fast to, yeah. to find what works. But in this day and age, it's not unusual to spend one or two years developing a game before, you yeah. know, getting it tested. Quality will continue to improve. I'm not sure how much revenue local studios will end up capturing with the India story. The India story is really for everybody. It's up for grabs yeah, yeah. for anyone to take advantage of that yeah. or seize that opportunity. Thanks a lot for sharing those thoughts. Uh, a lot to reflect on as well as I finish uh, my whole report. And maybe also you can hear back from other studios where a bet and tech, you know, because <laughs> that's we are, have our opinions and then we have to test. Always our assumption at the end of the day, right? I, I'm totally open to being wrong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But thanks a lot for uh, welcoming and follow the rest at Bombay Play the Games and you know where to find in Indra, India Naga. <laughs> Indra Naga. Yes. CMH Road. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am growing a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. If you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate the show on Spotify or your other favorite podcast platform. It will help other growing leaders to discover the show and benefit from the valuable insights. If you would like to grow rapidly your leadership skills, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io, where you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership and other resources that I offer. Have a great week, and remember to take care of yourself. Until the next time.